This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. So, what does it mean to be a modern warrior? First off, the elephant in the room. Warrior isn't a dirty word. A warrior is mindful. They seek excellence and have learnt to control their aggression. It's about understanding leadership, developing individual resilience, and seeking consistent human optimization. Remember, lifting heavy isn't dangerous. Being weak is dangerous. Fortune favors the brave, and you're never given more than you can handle. This, then, is the Warrior You podcast. All call signs. Ready, ready, ready. Let's roll! G'day, gangsters. How are you going? Oh my God, Trent! Listen to your listen to your sound. It's hey, amazing. We've got it sorted finally. We're here in Adelaide together. G'day, Bram. G'day, uh, Trent. Welcome to Adelaide. You don't like that intro, do you? I do. I do. It's it's certainly grown on me. I got to say, it's grown on me. Good because I put that together on uh, Garage Band. Nice, mm. nice. I thought uh, I thought I'd run the show today. What do you think of that? See how this works out. For that- my controlling uh, mannerisms. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I thought what we might do is uh, talk about some of the questions, some of the leadership that have been put to us by some of the listeners and uh, our Good followers idea. on Instagram. So, um, so we've got a few. We might, we'll, you know, get through a few of them and see how we go and pose a couple of them to you and see what you think and we'll have a bit of a chat. Well, can I ask you the first one? Go. All right. One dot. <laughs> can can a leader be friends with their subordinates? Yeah, this this goes back to our conversation, I think, around, you know, leadership is not a popularity contest and that interaction that we had on uh, LinkedIn. But I think you certainly can, you can be friends with your followers, your team members, absolutely. And what's more, I think it's important to have a level of friendship and understanding with uh, with your followers, and of course, in the military, we call them subordinates, but mm. that's uh, you know that's a technical term in the military. But I, I think the answer is yes. You're going to be naturally inclined to to be friends with people who you gen- genuinely connect with. We but bo- we both agree. We both sort of tacitly agree that yes, you do. But you know, I'm a little bit more radical about this. I, I believe that leadership is building a fan base. Sure. So, and we had a friend of mine anyway, Dave, from the sort of mining community say that, no, you don't need to be popular to be a leader, which I, I fully get that from the context of where he's, he's going with it. However, if you have a fan base, 
then they're more likely to do what you want them to do because they want to do it, because they're following you. They're following you for a reason. You've built that fan base. You know, I 100% think that you should be friends with your team members. And, and you know, even if we're taking this back to the military context, mm. you know, a corporal should be friends with their with their section. I know this might go a little bit against maybe perhaps what they what they teach now in the army. But I believe that you should be friends with these people because you're going to go to war with them. And, you know, you, you want to be collaborative in a team environment and, and be on friendly terms. And leadership is about relationships. It's a people business, right? It's I, a people business. I, I go a step further and, and a previous post that uh, mm. I put up on LinkedIn mm. was really around how my leadership transformed when I had that realisation mm. that I was actually leading my own family members. Mm. And for me, it came down to care and having that trickle-down effect mm. to the rest of the organisation. Mm. And, you, you know, when you're caring for people that you lead, mm. you, you have a different you have a different way of approaching it. Mm. And if you're treating them or wanting them to be treated as if you would treat their own, your own family, so with respect, mm. with with care and engaging as you would with fa- family. And care comes in many different forms too in a leadership. It, it, comes, yeah. it comes from a performance management as mm. well as... Um, yeah, know, if you care about me, you'll scold me if I'm doing something wrong. Correct. If kids. Correct. It's that's same, a, that, that's exactly with, right. It's the same with team members, even if they're your it, friends. It, indeed. You, yeah. If you care about them, you pull them up for going outside the values of the organisation. Absolutely. So, yes. So, the answer is yes, you can be friends with your subordinates in a military or an industry context. Let's not draw a line under this just yet because mm. I'm going to take it a step even further. Oh, go. I'm, go. Because I'm always about one-upping on you. Oh, <laughs> it's so competitive. So, no, no. But what I want to say is I had my best friend in a special forces team when I was a corporal, when he was a lands corporal. And he was, you know, he knows who he is. He's smarter than me. He knew more about the army than me. He was quicker-witted than me. And that made it difficult at times because he would question me and I wasn't able to, you know, give a retort that would satisfy yep. him and it would make me look stupid. But that happened – That this is in the late 90s. And interestingly, we had this conversation one day where I just said, hey, mate, look, actually, you know what? Here's a line in the sand for us mm. as best friends in this section. And yep. here's the do's and here's the don'ts. And if I have to make a decision – under pressure because I'm a member of another team, not just this team, but a higher team. Mm. That's something we should talk about in another podcast, sure. team membership. Yep. But if I've got to make a decision and you're continually acting as if we're mates in that it, decision it, it process, undermines, it undermines it, me. you as a leader. Right. And so we had this pretty terse conversation where I went, here's, here's the rules of this game or I'll find you another team. Mm. And you know what? It was brilliant after that. It was really good after that. We had to have the, get this, the adult conversation. Yep. And I've experienced that both in a military and an industry context as well. You know, one moment uh, you're working in an organisation uh, for someone and mm. then the next moment you're working in a different organisation with the same person and you're their, mm. uh, you're their leader. Yeah. And, and that happens when you circulate in, in similar industries and it happens over the long term within a military context yeah. as well. Yeah. At, you know, one moment you're actually um, uh, subordinate or a junior rank to someone else and, mm. you know, over the course of your careers – Things change and that, yeah. and that balance of, let's call it the balance of power, changes um, in time. Okay. So we both agree. You can yes. Be, you can be a leader um, that's friends with your subordinates. In fact, you should be. And there's different varying 
um, degrees of that. Yeah. And, but there is those adult conversations that need to happen. Um, For sure. I'm going I'm to throw one at you now. Well, hang on a second. Wait one second. Oh, yeah, okay, you're not finished? A, just a shout out to Special Operations Research and Development, uh, SWORD, who are kind contributors to this podcast. Yeah, and pretty much every coffee place in Adelaide today. (laughs) (laughs) Cash for comments. So so, uh, if you hadn't worked out, we're um, jacked up on caffeine today. We're four deep. And and we're happy. Um, So so the next one I'm going to put to you is uh, how can you get your team to be more self-disciplined? All right. So I talk about this um, in the commando way, actually. There's two types of discipline. There's... Uh, self-discipline and imposed discipline. And the only difference is the person um, imposing it, really. Mm. So what is self-discipline anyway? I guess that's the first thing we should really talk about. I think I think self-discipline is being able to continue to go along with the structure and do what needs to be done when maybe you don't really want to do it. Mm. What do you think? Yeah, I have to I have to agree with that. Um, and I think that comes with both training and confidence. Mm. Um, and and a, and a personal mindset because mm. you know we've we've all come across those individuals who lack self discipline yeah. just in their nor- ordinary life. I would put it to you, whoever asked this, um, mm. no names, no pack drills, that you need to impose some discipline first with probably some negative things that will happen if they don't toe the line in whatever authoritative framework you have until they build the self-discipline and then slowly take the imposition away and make them impose it on themselves. Also... Isn't that like parenting? Mate, I was going to... It, it's just right, it's was, right there, you, you know. I was just going to say that one of the ways that I do that with my kids is positive reinforcement, not, not from saying, hey, I'm really proud of you, because mm. I found that just doesn't work with my two mm. nutbags. <laughs> if you're listening and, and, and you're now, if you're listening like 30 years later and you're now men, sorry, don't beat me. Uh, but <laughs> but but what I've found works really well is, oh hey, look, you must be really um, proud of yourself for doing that. And I think that that works in a team environment too, where when you're giving um, praise, if you say to someone, hey, you should be really proud of the efforts you put in, you know, and that could be reflected in the discipline that they show. Mm then what that does is it makes them more intrinsically motivated. Now, motivation is so difficult. One of the reasons that motivation is really difficult is, is because it's waning and it, and it disappears, um, which is why I think you need consistency. And I think consistency around discipline is really important. And that can be the time that you wake up in the morning, the time that people get to work, the preparation they do for their for their meetings, all of the things around equipment maintenance. And here's a really interesting thing, Trent. Mm. A lot of organisations spend a lot of time patting each other on the back for the crisis that they've just solved. Yep. But guess what the crisis... There's a lack of planning and preparation and forethought is, uh, in, yeah, in advance. Because they, they created. Because they didn't celebrate just doing their job. And yep. I'm a big believer in celebrating discipline of a team mm. because that discipline of the team probably averted a crisis that you don't even know about. Yep. Um, the whole black swan thing, you know, or, or in Donald Rumsfeld's words, you know, where there's no knowns and there's known unknowns and we know the knowns and we know there's unknowns and blah, blah, blah. Unknown unknowns. Yeah. So, you know, it's all about um, if you just do your job, you can avert a lot of these crises that you're now celebrating. How can I get my team to be more self-disciplined? Mm. Mm, impose it in the first instance. 
start to remove it as you go in layers and celebrate those and celebrate, and celebrate those wins as they they change. Boom, nailed it. Yep. Um, all right, I'm going to ask you a question. Um, you got any sponsors you want to shout out today? Uh, not at this stage. Let me think about it. Okay. How can you lead older employees with more experience? That is good. Yeah, that's a really difficult one. And I literally just had a conversation with a uh, with a gentleman from uh, from BHP Sivam. Uh, um, thanks for our conversation on the train today. That was great. Um, so uh, I think that w- we find uh, when we have more experienced um, uh, more experienced subordinates or team members, um, it can be it can be difficult now. Some of these team members are going to have experiences that you're, you know, you haven't uh, had exposure to at the moment. Some of those experiences are going to be right, and some of them are wrong. And some of the advice you're going to get is right, and some of it's maybe not quite on point. And remember, as a leader, you have, and generally, you have accountability for uh, the effects that your team delivers. So you're going to have that accountability and you need to be able to listen and seek those seek that guidance mm. and really take that guidance on, on board. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's always right. But let's go back to what you said previously because it was really poignant for a lot of reasons. Um, leadership is a relationships game. Mm. It's, a people, it's a people job. Right. So the fact is if you have older employees with more experience and you're the leader, mm. sometimes you need to change the way – your relationships work with that person and give them give them a little bit more kudos and credit in your yeah. decision making you know style so that's the person you go and have silent conversations with yeah keep them out of a public domain if you can and and have this conversation well, if it's appropriate yeah yeah and have this conversation where hey I'd really love you to be a trusted confidant don't necessarily want everyone to know that's occurring is it okay if I come to you with things from time to time and you These win a fan. You win a fan, you right? You win a fan. Yep. And, and I mean, the reason I know this works mm. is because young platoon commanders have to do this with sergeants. Every time. You know, and, and you, you look at engineers in BHP, you're doing it with, you know, other engineers who are... who or are site supervisors right. and those sorts of things. Yeah. So, yeah, it is, it's a good question. It's you have to nail this by building relationships, understanding that person's strengths and their areas for development, um, and probably adjusting your, guess what, having an adaptive leadership yep. style and adjusting to suit the circumstances. You need to be situationally aware. Like every every subordinate or every team member that you're leading, there's going to be different motivators for mm. for them. And, you know, that more experienced team member might be, you know, waiting for retirement. Mm. That um, experienced team member may not want a leadership position mm. but, but has natural talent. Yeah, native talent, as you as you yeah. say, yeah. And so you just have to work out what what's motivating each of those individuals, what's inside their invisible backpack, uh, and and you know what's at play there. Yeah, and remember, there might be there might be all these social factors going on where that person feels like they should be the leader. Correct. Um, you know, you have to take that into account, or or they're just done with work and they're just biding time, Correct. and everything's too hard. Maybe they're pessimistic. Yep, and so that resentful, resentful, you know, yeah, yeah, yep. and so it that place, yeah, and so that then all comes back to those quiet conversations somewhere, just like, hey, can you help me here, and just showing people how they're the right member to have in the team. Mm. Hey, you know, I've got exactly everyone's right in this team. Yep, I always, you know, that's one of my favorite sort of lines is 
to get everyone together in a group and go, hey, we've got all the right people in the room. And then, and then everyone at different levels mm. feels like they've got something to contribute, especially if you've been building those relationships one-to-one quietly behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Yeah, no, that's, that's a cracking – I don't know who asked that, but that's a cracking question. And we've sort of touched on that a couple of times now. So um, mm. it's, it's interesting that that keeps coming up too. Oh, I look. No, I we see it all the time. It might also be our, our age too, right? Where we're, For sure. we're a bit older and, and now younger people are like, hey, you know, I deal with people like you. Mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. The next question as well is another one that mm. keeps coming up. And in fact, uh, I think it was on Insta mm. uh, where I responded to a follower who raised this question previously. How do you manage management? Yeah, you know, that, could be, that question could be taken a lot of different ways. So how did you take it? Well, I, you know, how are you, how are you leading upwards? So, how are you working with your leader? Is how I took that question, uh, particularly, and in the more detailed question that was on Instagram, it was, you know, how are you working with your leader when your leader is not uh, listening to your advice? Yeah, I deliberately went away from the microphone then to, to right. contemplate. That's like, hmm. mm, yeah, uh, on, it, because 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 it keeps coming up all the time that pe- that people are struggling, and in the one on ones that we have with our various clients, the number of one on one mentoring conversations I've had are around the right. challenges okay. that we're we're having with our own leaders. Watch this, batter up. I'm up. I'm up to the plate. You just pitched this to me. Batter, so, batter swing. Right. So. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're a leader. Like truly, you're, you're developing yourself as a leader. You're into resilience. You want to know about human optimization, all those things. Indeed. The people that you're wondering about, how do I manage this person? Yeah. It's very possible they are technically brilliant and have been promoted with absolutely no people skills. Yeah. Managers. Right. They're managers, They're managers in a leadership leaders. position. But, yeah. I mean, again, what is management and leadership? Management we can talk about leadership. that later. But, yeah. you know, I mean, there's some great managers that are great leaders as well and there's some great leaders that are brilliant at management. But if it's the case that you're looking up going, oh, this person, you know, couldn't lead their way out of a, you know. Wet paper bag. Yeah. Mm. I was going yeah, okay. <laughs> to say something worse. So the, the, the go is you have to be what good looks like because your turn will come. And people below you or in your team are looking at how you're dealing with this. And this is, again, going back to team membership. You're a member of a team who you're in charge of, and you're actually a member of the team that that leader is in. Mm. And that leader has a leader above them, generally, unless it's the CEO, in which case you're screwed. <laughs> well, they're still aboard, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. So the, the whole idea is the way to manage up is to show what good looks like, to always be positive – and to offer, you know, your skills, your EQ, your IQ to that leader to actually help to cover for their weaknesses. Yeah, in a manner, in a manner that is relatable to that particular leader. So yeah. talk in a language that um, is impactful for that leader. If they are a risk-averse uh, leader or manager, then uh, talk in a language that is appropriate. So this, this presents a risk to the organisation, to yourself, to the team, uh, financial, regulatory, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Um, and also you've got to remember that when taking away those lessons, when you're reflecting on those lessons of the various leaders that you've had, even a poor leader presents really good opportunities for yourself. Um, you know, you, you were talking about your, ter- your time will come. If you've got a leader you've struggled with, then – 
you know, reflect on that, you know, deeply reflect on that and and work out why you're struggling with that leader and don't be that person. Don't be that guy or girl. To be a good leader, you first have to be a good follower. But to be a great leader, you have to remember that being a good follower wasn't easy. Bram Connolly, 2020. <laughs> Last year. The commando way. Well, I mean, I, I, I fully believe that. You know, I fully believe that if you want to be a really great leader, you've got to remember how hard it was to be a follower. And sometimes... You know, when you get to that next position, you've got to remember the leader above you was difficult. It's a gymnasium. You're out there training. The whole world is your gymnasium. And, and everyone's learning, right? Everyone's on, the, on a different path, on a different glide path with their leadership. And some are not willing to, mm. um, to, admit to advance it. and mm. admit. And mm. others are deeply reflective in trying to change at every given op- – or trying to improve at every given opportunity. I think we knocked that out of the park. We did. What next? Batter up. The next one I've got here is – how do you manage or lead an over-enthusiastic team member? Oh, an industrious idiot. I've had a few industrious idiots in my time in, in my teams. To tell us about it, but, but don't name names. That's a shame. Um, <laughs> so they're so good at making work and coming to me with, hey, hey, we're going to do this, and this is a really great idea, and I'm, I'm, off, I'm off doing this. And what they're actually doing is just sitting there spinning their wheels and making work for everyone else to mm. fix. Mm over enthusiastic i do think it's a problem being too enthusiastic because what it means is that that person's ready to jump in you know head first into a problem yeah before there's actually a strategic uh sort of analysis of the issue which means that you could be reinforcing failure yeah yeah Good question. I, I want to add something to that as well. Uh, the person, <laughs> the person that I'm thinking of, uh, who shall remain nameless, mm. very similar. Not necessarily making work, although at times that was true, but um, not in line with the the wider vision and not in line with the direction of the organisation that had been set down. So that over enthusiastic that over enthusiastic uh, member is then generating work. With all good intentions, but you know, there's resource constraints, or there's, um, you know, there's a range, there's a host of reasons because it's not the the main effort for the organisation at that particular point in time. Sure, it might work out for them. Sure, we might be improving capability within the organisation and delivering an outcome, but it might not be the outcome that that was required. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I've got to say, I would rather have an over-enthusiastic person than someone that didn't want to be there. Yes, yeah. Yes, because I think it's easier to pair back that enthusiasm if they have a growth mindset mm. than it is to build someone up who has a fixed mindset and is just not willing to get on the bus. Right, and if we if we posit that enthusiasm is contagious, there's got to be an equation here. Well, what oh. I'm oh, we got what a whiteboard. I'm, what I'm thinking of is you get that over enthusiastic person to focus their efforts on on things that benefit the team in a purposeful, energetic way, mm. and perhaps you can focus their energies on uh, team cohesion. I mean, I've got one of these guys who's just he's all over it. He's you know, oh, it's this person's birthday, it's that person's this, it's that, and and you just set him on set them on the course and let them go for it. Mm. 
and it keeps everything together. It's sort of the, it could be the glue that holds a team together, perhaps. Could be if it is solely well intentioned for the good of the group mm. and not that particular individual themselves. Yeah, there's more so to this than me. Th- th- there is, yeah. All right. Yeah, you're happy with that? Yeah, yeah, we've nailed it. This is right in your space, all right? So I'm going to let you run. It's right up my alley. It's right up your alley. Is there a difference between mental toughness, grit, and resilience? I love it. Go. Resilience is what you bring to the party right now. So it's based a small amount on your DNA, and that can be epigenetic based on what your parents, grandparents have gone through. We know this to be a evolving and new science. And... It's also, that's only a small part, genetic, but it's also predicated on how much sleep you're getting at night, how much uh, fluid intake is and and levels, the macros in your diet, believe it or not. Um, So the way that you are responding to the food that you are taking. Sure. uh, And also the comfort level at the time, depending on the heat, humidity. It, it's a it's a whole heap of factors, and resilience is obviously how you bounce back from something, um, bend bend because of something, and bounce back to a state that was similar as before, mm. um, and preferably stronger. So you're talking about physical and mental resilience here, yeah, both, both, yeah, and and the that that description works for both. Uh, it's for mental resilience. Physical physical resilience is through training. We'll talk about that in a sec. So so if you imagine. Friday night, you go on a bender, drinking all night with your mates. Um, don't you get a couple of hours of sleep? The next day, you don't eat very well. You don't drink much. You eat pizza. Um, go out again on the Saturday night, as as most soldiers would tend to do. Sunday morning, you get some bad news, family news. Mm. You are much more likely to be emotionally um, jarred and by re- that news and, and react poorly potentially in a work environment well react poorly at the at that instant yeah between stimulus and response or whatever based on your resilience level is quite low whereas if you had have been if you had done some study on the friday night for a few hours gotten to bed at 9 30 gotten up at seven in the morning you've gone for a run had a hydrated yeah had a big healthy healthy breakfast had had spent the day relaxing and recovering from the run stretching blah 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 gone to bed early again that night the next morning you get the The news news you are much more capable to respond to that in, a, in an emotionally good way, right? That's resilience. Got it. So resilience is what you bring to the party at, at, a, at a specific given point in time based on causal factors of diet, sleep, food, but also a little bit of your genetics too. I'm quite resilient genetically um, for whatever reason, probably because my apparently my great-great-grandfather was James Connolly. He was shot in a seat. He was a socialist, and I found that out today, and it was very <laughs> confronting. But anyway, <laughs> let's move on. Um, let's move on. So then mental toughness is something that's developed through frames of reference. It's one of the reasons why we do a selection course for special forces. This is the hardest thing I've ever done. Mm. And now you're doing this in Afghanistan. It's like, well, that's okay. I've done something similar, something actually a bit harder. Yeah. Or it's why I did those um, 10 kilometres a day for 10 days last year in January in the, in the heat of the day because I wanted a frame of reference for when I went and did a five-kilometre race that wasn't as hard. Yeah, that's right. Or it's why I would go and do a half Ironman with not very much training. To build up. I'm a, not going to win it, but I'm going to look back on it and go, jeez, yeah. that was hard. Oh, But this is not that much harder, this, so I can do that. Yeah, so yeah. now I'm just doing this half marathon. It doesn't have a 90-kilometre ride at the start. You know, or you know, before the run, it doesn't have a four-kilometer swing. You know, those sort of things. Sure. So, mental toughness is 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 your ability to tap into a frame of reference of something before. Which is why, which is why in the military, 
military, they, they build up the mm. training incrementally mm. so that you can build your physical toughness mm. um, and, and also your mental toughness. Yes. Now, I mean, I would be able to, to complete some things that others can't who might be more physically capable because of my mental toughness. Sure. Yeah, but um, that has limitations too because, you know, you can only absorb so much punishment physically until you until you can't absorb anymore, whether that be through your muscles and their fibers not being conditioned for it, whether it be you know salt levels aren't psychologically maybe well okay. the impact yeah yeah a little bit of that but if we talk and okay so yes so that's all wrapped up Got into it. it but what you want the more physically fit you are the more you can put you through self through for mental toughness got it it's actually harder yeah. Um, it's harder to become mentally tougher the more physically fit you are because you're just absorbing the punishment. You see what I'm going? Yeah. But so the, you don't need to call upon your mental toughness if you're physically tough. Right. And yep. if you're going through something hard mm. from a resilience standpoint but you're physically very fit, then it, it helps the causal factors be less of an impact. It all revolves around mm. really physical fitness in the first instance as a foundational element. Yeah whether it's mental toughness or resilience. If you're physically fit, you're going to have a higher level of A, resilience, and B, mental toughness. Now, grit. Let's, yeah, let's finish off with grit and grit, explain grit, grit to us. Grit's easy. Um, Angela Duckworth might be coming on the podcast. Nice. We've reached out to her, yeah, to yeah. talk about grit. Yeah. Nice. My understanding of grit is that, you know, what, what we're doing is we're talking about mindset. And in particular, you know, you know we talk about people with gritty performances and they, you know. So yeah, they really dug deep. Yeah, and do you remember the the, the – the lady who um, she it was she made she made triathlon uh, actually on the world stage by she came second but she was winning and then she was at the end of the marathon she was like crawling into yeah, the finish line yeah absolutely yeah well, I remember the imagery yeah so that's that that is someone who hadn't had never experienced those feelings before so she was resilient she was probably mentally tough and now she could have just stopped. But she was like that was gritty. It was it was grit. So it's about a it's about a, I have to get this done. I have to get through this. I want to I want to complete this. You know, uh, no matter what the circumstances. So there's a little bit of both mental toughness and resilience in it. But also it's a mindset of I am not going to fail or I want to be able to continue. Um, and I believe it can be quite detrimental because you can you can push yourself to death through that. So it's not necessarily. The smartest choice. Haley Carruthers in mm. the London Marathon. Boom. Yeah, I just, I, I just googled. I just, did you just, did you just I level just, up? I just leveled up, right? So hang on a second. The, you, the I was imagery. talking and you were googling. Yeah, and indeed. You le- um, hey everyone, I just want to introduce you to our new producer. From <laughs> <Trump>. <laughs> yeah, so Haley Carruthers at the London Marathon. Um, amazing imagery. If you, if you go there. Um, I think we're talking about someone different because there really? was a triathlete that did it ah, prior right. to triathlon okay. becoming a big deal. But yeah, look, yes, good, yeah, good example. That, well, there you go. And and in fact, the the further you go down, mm. the more you see. So there was a Kenyan runner, mm. um, I, and I'm going to pronounce his name wrong. I'm going to do a Bram Connolly. It's Il- Ilud Kibet. Um, uh, he did the same thing. Um, and, and it's just... You know, there's line after line of these people with with these pained expressions on their on their faces as they crawl across the the marine who crawled across the Boston Marathon finish uh, in 2000 and oh, what's that 19? Wow. Yeah. So like, there's lots. Yeah. Uh, Michaela Herndon. I mean, I've seen 
I've seen men with grit, Tully, stretcher carries and just keep going when they're, they're not there anymore and they're just like, I cannot let the team down. Yeah. Listen, the, the key takeaway from all of this for me, from a leadership perspective anyway, yep. is that resilience can be increased by those causal factors. So, you, so as a leader, you can make better leadership decisions with a clearer mind if your diet's on point, if you've had, if your fluid intake's up there, and if you're sleeping enough, I'm a massive believer nice. in sleep as a weapon for a leader. And I think that most of society is walking around in a dazed state because they're not sleeping. And let me put it to you this way: sleep. Every single creature on this planet has a checkout where they mm. stop. And if humans in in three million, I think it's three million years in in sort of present type form of evolution, evolution, yeah. So we're not talking about just cavemen, we're we're all the way back. If we have not evolved to not use sleep Mm. ever, then there's a reason for that. Now, it could be a lot more interesting than what we think. That's an interesting concept, isn't it? Yeah. When you think about it. It could be a lot more interesting than we think, Mm. especially with the requirement for your brain to subconsciously learn and also there's belief it staves off dementia and that the brain sort of washes itself through while you're sleeping at night and and things like um, the plaque that's getting into your bloodstream mm. through your through teeth, teeth going in through your blood yep. into your brain gets sort of – there's all these different things. I don't really understand it myself. I'm reading a lot about it at the moment. But what I do know is if we haven't evolved to not need it, then, then do then it. Then we need it. Then you need it. Yeah, you, and, you're not get, and if you think you're getting enough, no matter who's listening to this right now, if you think you're getting enough, you're not. And – I didn't last night. No. And and if you are making decisions as a leader, sleep is your first line of defense to cool. make good decisions. For sure. And it makes you more resilient. So if you want to find out a little more, jump on the Hindsight Leadership website, mm. hindsightleadership.com.au. Go to the blog section. Mm. Um, Bram's already spoken about sleep as a weapon there. So I think maybe one more question and then we'll uh, wrap it up for the day. We'll, okay. we, might, we might do another session uh, a little later. So last question, how do you balance your assertiveness as a leader when dealing with a team of sensitive and less sensitive employees, especially when you want to treat everyone fairly? And I, I love this question because I speak about assertiveness versus aggression routinely, but I'd, I'd be interested to get your opinion on this. Wow. This could be contentious. How do you balance your assertiveness as a leader when dealing with a team of sensitive and less sensitive employees? That's a tight... uh, Yeah, go. I love the idea of everyone should be valued and heard. I don't love the term safe space. Don't, Don't... Hang up on me yet. Don't... Don't get rid of our podcast. Don't unsubscribe. I want to argue for an agreed space. Mm. I want to agree. I want to agree with each member of my team that there's going to be times when we're going to have terse conversations and conflict. But I want to also agree that I'm skillful enough that that won't turn into something where you're not valued and heard. And that, and in that way, you can still be assertive as a leader, but you understand how each person's going to take it. We come from backgrounds where assertiveness is leadership. Yeah, it's not necessarily right. It is when you're getting shot at. It is when you need in a, someone in a crisis. In in a in a point in time where where sorry in a point where time is short and decisions have to be made and you've trained your team to respond and you're the leader, then it's it's directive control. Got it. But and I there's th- no need there's no need for poodle faking around with stuff. Yeah. So so I would I would also 
like to put out there. See, assertiveness gets a bad rap. Mm. And I've had a number of people during various presentations call out the word assertiveness in in various products that we've got. Mm. Assertiveness is not aggression. Assertiveness can just be clear, concise, direct communication, and that might be in a, either a written or a verbal form. Yeah. And and that can come across as confronting to some people in a team who are, you know, not not red uh, characters, and they, they might be they might be a, a different and a less um, overt. Is it style. up to a leader then to understand? Each person, because let's pay. Start, let's, sure. let's let's face it. A span of command shouldn't be more than twelve. Shouldn't actually be more than eight. Well, we, we see that a lot in various industries where um, certainly the structure is quite flat, and it mm. becomes very difficult. And what that brings in is this inability to really understand your team. Mm. And so those that uh, prefer a more direct uh, form of communication and make it clear and be assertive and those sorts of things. And, and of course, some leaders are assertive leaders just by virtue of the type of leadership style. Yes, I think I am, but I'm a bit more adaptive than, than I, I used to be. So I'll adjust my leadership style. And, and right now I'm using a very different leadership style than I've ever used before. Mm. It's great and it's working well, but it works well because of this particular team. It doesn't work, and, and this particular outcome that I'm looking for, it doesn't work well in my previous role. I'm an assertive leader by uh, nature. Mm. doesn't work for me. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So, so by virtue of my character, I'm, a, I'm assertive. Sure. But I never get, it never works for me. And that could be my presence, my stature. It could be my intelligence. It could be all those things. I am actually better when I'm collaborative and more open. Mm. Indeed. And so the question really is, if you're trying to treat everybody fairly, that that comes back to that agreed Mm. space. The question was, how do you balance your assertiveness? And I think that comes down to understanding the individuals, you know, and being clear. And I come back to, you know, my concept around leadership narrative. Mm. You need to be able to describe the type of leader you are and when you are being assertive, it's for this reason because you understand the way you lead so that your team understands the way we, that you lead and you need to understand that. We, we see this in our in the hindsight uh, leadership diagnostic because when people complete the 117 questions in the, in the leadership diagnostic, some people come back as they actually want assertive guidance yeah, and some people come back with, I, I really long for those quiet conversations where I'm able to add value and, and how's this? Some people want you to say, we're going to have a meeting tomorrow mm. about this topic. Here it is. Go and ruminate on it for 24 hours. Yeah. With other, where other people in the team are like, just, just, just call it out to me and let me think about it and I'll make a decision. Yeah. So our leadership diagnostic shows this massive, massive void, <laughs> this chasm that you've got to jump over as a leader to get to different people. Sure. And you just hit on a really interesting point then about making decisions. So, you know, we've been taking this question from a communication perspective, being oh. assertive from a communication perspective, also a decision-making aspect to assertiveness because some leaders aren't able to make decisions in a timely manner. They're looking for more information and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And being assertive as a leader in making decisions can also come across as confronting to some in the team when in reality it may be required, it's your leadership style and those sorts of things. Yeah. So so that's it's not just communications. You do, and, you know, don't forget, it, leadership is not just about people. You know, where you're making the money, um, where the rubber hits the road is that 
decision making um, skill set that you've got as well. Yeah, and decisions not made, so indecision, ultimately becomes your decision if you're not careful. True. That's yep. a lack of assertiveness. Right. And the other thing I will say too is if you have – this is big, right? If it's you, it's yeah. a huge question. If you have informal leaders in your team that people look to, mm. if you don't make a timely decision, guess where the team's looking? Well, they're going to fill the vacuum, aren't they? They're looking at that that informal leader below you and yep. you've just undermined – Your own position. Yeah. Um, your, yeah, your own leadership. So I, I guess to wrap this one up, it's it's like everyone should be valued and heard – understand the personalities and get them to do our leadership diagnostic. That's that's probably the easiest way. And then I would say – that almost sounded like I was – I'm not pushing that, but if you want to – That sounded very assertive. I, I'm just going to put it out there. Yeah. I think also understand that you have to be able to make decisions still – Otherwise, those decisions will get made for you in certain circumstances. For sure. Mate, this has been good. That's cracking. Yeah. Uh, really, I really enjoyed that. Uh, thanks for uh, jumping on uh, Trent's first uh, podcast. Uh, <laughs> pre- appreciate that. Did you lead all right or did I? I, I, thought, I thought I did very well. Yeah, I, I really want to say you should be very proud of yourself, Trent, I, I'm for very, the effort that you've put in. I'm very proud of, uh, I'm very proud of mm. uh, your responses well, let's, as well. Brent. Let's do it again and let's get, let's get some more for, for next week's podcast where we answer the questions through Instagram and that have come through Instagram and also through LinkedIn. And, yeah, just again, shout out to Special Ops Research and Development and to all the coffee, all, all the coffee places in Adelaide right now. All the coffee places in Adelaide right now. <laughs> thanks, Trent. All right, thanks very much, Bram. Uh, we'll see you next week. Cool. Bye. Righto. Thanks for listening, gang. If you'd like to find out about our parent company and the leadership and resilience training and workshops that they offer, please head to the Hindsight Leadership website www.hindsightleadership.com. Hindsight Leadership, all one word. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, and remember, every dollar helps, you can do that through the podcast website at www.podcast.warrioru.com.au. There's a donation tab at the bottom of the main page, and all donations are really appreciated. They keep the show on the road. And if you're interested in the Warrior U military preparation course, whether that's just the physical training component or the whole cultural training package, this can also be found through the podcast website, www.podcast.warrioru.com.au. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.